Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Plowing and there's planting and there's harvesting and gathering There's threshing and there's winnowing and then there is selecting There is grinding and there's sifting and there is also kneading There is baking and there's shearing and there is also bleaching There is combing and there's dyeing and there's plenty of spinning Threading loom and threading harness and there's also weaving Separating thread, there is tying and untying There's sewing and there's tearing and you know there's also trapping 
There's slaughtering and skinning and there's tanning and there's smoothing and there's marking and there's cutting and there's writing and erasing. You must remember building and you can't forget demolishing or kindling, extinguishing the final blow of caddy. Now let's try it in Hebrew. There's Horesh and Zoreah, and there's Kotzer and Ma'amer. There is Dash, and there's Zoreh, and don't forget Borer. There's Tochen and Merakade, and then there's also Lash. There's Ofa, and there's Gozes, and then there is Malabin. There's Menapets and Soveya, and plenty of Tove. Mesach, Teva, Tenirin, a little bit of Oreg. Then there is Potseya, and there's Kosher, and there's Matir. <gasps> there's Tofer and Korea, and you know there's also Tzad. There's Shochet and there's Mavshit, there's Ma'abed and Ma'machek, there's Meshatet and Mechatech, there is Kotev and there's Mochek, there's Bona and there's Soter, there is Mavir and Mechabe, Ma'akeb Apatish, and finally Hotza'ah. These are the many tasks that were used to build the Mishkan. They number 39 and on the Sabbath are forbidden.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing? I hope well. I hope fine. I hope I hope dandy as we are on another, yet another example of J.M. and A.M. being here even though, and live, even though it's a legal holiday here in the United States. One of the things we take great pride in since the start of COVID is we've never missed a day outside again of my elbow surgery last week. I've been here every single day. Live and in person, um, even Cholamoid, even legal holidays. And today is officially a legal holiday here in the United States. It's the 4th of July. I know it's the 3rd, but you get my point. It's observed as the uh, legal holiday today. And we're here. So welcome to a Friday on July 3rd, the 11th of Tammuz. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, and Balak in Israel. It is only Parshas Balak. And we are finally caught up. Woohoo! For me, that's reason to celebrate. Yeah. I take this very, very seriously, this uh, this business of being in sync with Israel when we're in the diaspora. Um, oh, and by the way, for those of you who are, who are on Twitter, I rarely make recommendations regarding who to follow on Twitter. Uh, but because of the uh, calendaric curiosities that I have, uh, I want to recommend a uh, a great Twitter handle that you should follow. Uh, it's called Jewish, one word, Jewish Calendar Tidbits. Uh, be careful because there's a lot of Jewish tidbit uh, with different variation uh, names on Twitter. This one is Jewish Calendar Tidbits, all one word. And uh, on Twitter, it's at Tidbits Jewish, at Tidbits Jewish. Uh, when you look for it on Twitter, it's basically a um, a um, a mug and David. You'll see the symbol of it is a mug and David, a star of David. So Jewish calendar tidbits, all one word on Twitter. I highly recommend it. And the reason I thought of it is because I noticed that this morning um, they uh, tweeted, finally caught up this Shabbat Balak in Israel, Chukat Balak in the diaspora. So... There you go. Nice job by the people at Jewish Calendar Tidbits on uh, on Twitter. Very nice. Um, anyway. So welcome to a Friday, everybody, on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Chukas, and Balak. 8.10 candle lighting here in New York. 8.10 is candle lighting time. Lipa had hallelujah. You heard Shlomo Simcha and Odi Shama. The 39 Malachot. That was Schlockrock, plus their curry bone off a of Shabbat in Liverpool. Confin Sharm came from Simcha Liner. Aish had Shalom Aleichem, brand new from Volume 3. And, of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. JMNAM Friday with a happy birthday to the USA. Tomorrow is the 4th of July. Uh, Thursday, six days from now, Shiva Serba Tammuz, the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. That's Thursday, six days from now. Yeah, get ready. The three weeks is almost upon us. The break from weddings in the Ashkenazic community starts Thursday, the 9th of July. Maybe by the end of the three weeks, uh, by the 31st of July, maybe we'll be able to um, schedule weddings uh, a little larger, a little bit more significant uh, in terms of the in terms of the um, what word could I use? In terms of the physical context, you know, not meaning the the spiritual or religious, that could be amazing no matter what the size. 
But in terms of the physical size of the celebration, hopefully it could be even larger uh, at the end of the three weeks than where we're at now, uh, about to start the three weeks. And Mazal Tov, by the way, to all the Chatanim and Kalot, to all the brides and grooms uh, that have been getting married in these uh, understated yet absolutely beautiful celebratory and really incredible, when you see these weddings, 50 to 100 people and every one of the Hassan and Kala's friends are there and every single person there is so happy to be there. I know it's not a 500-person wedding, but boy, is it an amazing celebration. And the photos and videos, especially, thank God, in this area, we've had some amazing weather over the last few weeks, so the photos and videos are just so incredible. So mazal tov to all the chatanim and kalots who are now in Sheva Brachos or are getting married the next couple of days from all of us here at JM in the AM. 80 degrees, 55% humidity, winds in north at um, 5 miles per hour. Uh, partly cloudy today with a high of 90.1. Tonight, thunderstorms, a low of 70. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high of 85 degrees. You shall lime right now at 90. We're at 80 here in New York City as we say good morning at JMNAM. Speaking of you, Shalim, I spoke with uh, Chief of Staff Rabbi Yigal Siegel. He sends regards in the holy city of Jerusalem. And I spoke also earlier this morning with uh, the great Simon Jacob, the chairman of our Jewish Unity Initiative. And uh, he sends best regards to everybody as they get set for another wonderful Shabbat in the holy city of Jerusalem. So I am conveying uh, those messages and wishing everybody well on this uh, Erev Shabbos. 25 minutes before 7 o'clock, I want to thank those who are supporting our cause, who are supporting the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. Uh, Yesterday we had an unbelievable, really unbelievable, presentation by Mr. Ralph Rosenbaum of East Brunswick, New Jersey, who outlined for this audience the importance of supporting JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. I still have not gotten over what he said yesterday. Just incredible. Um, And, uh, yeah, just incredible. And, And if you haven't yet given to our spring fundraiser, it is so vital and important for this effort to be supported Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and support us as best as you can. 24 minutes before 7 o'clock, we say good morning. This is JM in the AM.
Aaron Razel in uh, in Hebrew he Giazman in English they call it redemption time that's the name of that selection here at the JM in the AM uh the footsteps had Lechlecha. 
I don't know. I got into an Aliyah mood. I was thinking about my conversation yesterday with Rabbi Fass, and all of a sudden I got back into an Aliyah mood. Um, Naftali Abramson, Shabbos every single day. The Moshav Band with Come Back. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 810 here in New York. Weekly update with Malcolm Honeline about uh, 50 minutes away here at JM in the AM. Uh, it's the 4th of July being observed today. Yeah, the 4th is tomorrow, but they're observing it today here in the USA. Happy 4th, everybody. This portion of NSN, speaking of the 4th and barbecues, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage in Delhi is the world's best, serving the kosher world since uh, 1954. And now... Available at Trader Joe's. Every Trader Joe's in the United States of America. Wow. Um, go to kosherdogs.net to shop on the web for A&H and enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio. As many of you know, Shlomo Katz is putting out 40 songs for his 40th birthday. Song number three is out. It's called Harani. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Shame in the AM. <clears throat> oh boy, where's my voice going? Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Chukas Balak outside of Israel. In Israel, it's um, in Israel, it's don't tell me Balak. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> finally caught up. We have finally caught up with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Three weeks will begin on uh, Thursday with Shavuot Shabbatamos, the fast day. Shavuot Shabbatamos. Keep that in mind. Uh, Shlomo Katz releasing uh, 30 songs, excuse me, releasing 40 songs in honor of his 40th birthday, and that was song number three, Harani, the name of that one here at JM in the AM. Well, our friends at Art Scroll remind you that the uh, big sale goes on through Sunday night, meaning the June sale of 25% off everything. That goes on until uh, Sunday night. And... Um, And um, when you go to that website, if you order either of the two books and sets that we discussed this week, the uh, Talmud, excuse me, Chumash with the Talmud references, uh, full set, and the weekly Parsha book for the kids, if you use promo code radio, not only is it 30% off, it's also free shipping. So go to artscroll.com, go to artscroll.com again, uh, use promo code radio. To save, save, save. Here are the details. 30% off and free shipping on the Chumash with teachings of the Talmud. That's the full set. And 30% off of all weekly Parsha books uh, if you use promo code radio. So go to artscroll.com. Go to artscroll.com. Don't forget to get us your resumes. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio News next. Galei Tzal, Shalom Rav, Khan El Azar, Ben Lulu, Im Mashe Korea Akshav. 
המאמץ למיגור גל שני מהבוקר נכנסו לתוקפן הגבלות חדשות בעקבות הזינוק בחולי הקורונה המאובחנים בישראל. התקהלויות במקומות סגורים מוגבלות מעתה לקבוצות של עד 20 בני אדם. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מוסרת שביום ראשון תובא לאישור הכנסת הגבלה נוספת, לפיה בבתי כנסת, במסבעות, במועדונים ובאולמות אירועים תותרנה התקהלויות של עד 50 איש בלבד. ובתוך כך, בתוך שלוש יממות, עשרים ושמונה חולים קשים חדשים אושפזו בבתי החולים. כך על פי נתונים פנימיים של משרד הבריאות שהגיעו לידי כתבנו מאיר מרציאנו. נמשכת העלייה במספר החולים בירושלים, קרוב ל-500 תושבים אובחנו השבוע כנשאים של הנגיף, כ-40% מהם בשכונות החרדיות במרכז העיר. בנוסף, על פי נתוני מרכז המידע והידע הלאומי למערכה בקורונה, במזרח ירושלים אותרו 150 חולים. כתבנו בבירה יובל שגב מציין כי בעירייה עוקבים אחר העלייה בנתונים, אולם בשלב זה לא שוקלים מדיניות של סגר. ראש המועצה האסלאמית לפסיקת הלכה בארץ, השייח' מוחמד סלאם חסן, קורא למתפללים להקפיד על ההגבלות החדשות בתפילות יום השישי במסגדים. בהודעת השייח' נכתב כי יש להתפלל בקבוצות של עד 50 איש, להקפיד על עטיית מסכה, פריסת שטיח, תפילה אישי ועל מרחק. עוד נכתב כי הנחיות אלה הן במעמד פסיקת הלכה. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו דורון קדוש. גבר בשנות השלושים לחייו, תושב בענה, נפצע באורח בינוני מירי שוטרים במהלך ניסיון פריצה לכלי רכב בכפר יסיף. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה אותו לבית החולים לגליל בנהריה. בנוסף עצרו השוטרים גם את חברו המעורב באירוע. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר שבית משפט השלום בנצרת ביקש להאריך את מעצרם עד ליום חמישי. התעשייה האווירית וחברת גרופ 42 מאבו דאבי יפעלו לפיתוח מוצר טכנולוגי לזיהוי מוקדם של נגיף קורונה ללא בדיקה פולשנית. כתבנו לענייני טכנולוגיה נבות רבלסי מציין שגרופ תשקיע בתחום הבינה המלאכותית והרפואה ואלתא מבית התעשייה האווירית תתרום בתחום הבינה המלאכותית מערכת לייזר ומק"מ. מזג האוויר היום תחול עלייה נוספת בטמפרטורות וצפויה הכבדה בעומס החום. מחר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר הטמפרטורות תרדנה בהרים ובפנים הארץ ותורגש הקלה בעומס החום. אלה החדשות.
JM in the AM. Pretty amazing, huh? That's a uh, that's quite a selection, isn't it? Eli Schwabel with No Dalacha here at JM. I remember the morning we spoke to him at length. I think we were we were both on Facebook Live and Instagram Live, and we spoke to him at length about what he had gone through during his own personal COVID situation. Boy, oh boy, No Dalacha, just an incredible and amazing song. Thank you, Eli Schwabel, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Well, one of our recent traditions that we started here at JM and the AM is that in the early part of the 7 o'clock hour on Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, we get to hear from our friend Harry Rothenberg um, with his Dvar Torah, um, his Dvar Torah that basically goes international and viral every single week uh, regarding the uh, Torah portion. In this case, of course, outside of Israel, we read both Chukas and Balak. This week, Harry Rothenberg for us here at JM in the AM. Just before the key scene in this week's Torah portion, when Moshe, Moses, hits the rock instead of speaking to it as God had commanded him, he first chastises the Jews. He says to them, listen now, you rebels, shall we, meaning him and his brother Aaron, Aaron, bring water forth from you from this rock? But that's a strange sentence. Why is he calling the Jews rebels? All they asked for was water. And they know that he and his brother can't bring water from a rock. Only God can do that. There's a medrash that says to understand what's going on here, you have to realize the context. Miriam, Moshe and Aaron's beloved sister, the righteous Miriam, had just died and been buried. And then this mob approached Moshe and Aaron demanding water. Moshe was upset. He felt that they should have come in an orderly fashion and first offered condolences on their loss. And more importantly, given the proper honor to the departed Sadekis, the righteous Miriam. They should have said, we recognize that all these years we had that miraculous well with the water in Miriam's merit. We see that because it dried up immediately after her death. But instead, they came clamoring loudly, raucously, this unruly mob instead of coming properly. And so maybe Moshe was hinting that to them when he said, Shimunah Hamorim, listen now, you rebels. Maybe we can reread that as Shimunah, listen, Ha Miriam. It was Miriam that all these years had given you water, and you didn't recognize that. You didn't credit that. You didn't honor her. You didn't respect her. And that's a lesson for us, how important it is to properly console mourners. The rabbis tell us that when you go to a shiva house to console a mourner, you should sit and be quiet. Don't say a word until the mourner starts speaking to you. That will tip you off as to what he or she wants to talk about, what they want to hear, if anything. A friend of mine told me that after he lost his mother when he was sitting shiva, he received enormous consolation from a story that another visitor told him as follows. Russia and Japan were at war over Manchuria. A Japanese soldier threw a grenade into a trench. Somehow one of the Russian soldiers deflected it or batted it away, saving himself and the lives of many of his fellow soldiers. And when that soldier came home, he was a returning war hero. They scheduled a parade for him one afternoon. But the morning of the parade, there was a court case, and the judge declared guilty someone who had stolen a horse. And before issuing the sentence, hard labor, jail, the judge said to the defendant, excuse me, I noticed that your last name is the same as that young war hero who we're going to honor today with a parade. Is there any family relationship between the two of you? And the defendant proudly said, 
yes, your honor, he's my son. The judge said, he's your son? The war hero? You raised that young man? I am tearing up the charges. They're dismissed. You're free to go. Enjoy the parade. And by analogy, that's what happens up in heaven. Someone dies, they go up for judgment. The accusing angel starts reading this long list of infractions. God is sitting in his robe with his gavel, as it were, ready to pass judgment, when suddenly God hears something coming from earth. He hears the son or another relative of the deceased saying the Kaddish. And God says, one second, I took you away from your family members. They are despondent. They're distraught. They're inconsolable. But instead of raising their fist at heaven and railing against some perceived injustice over what I did, instead they're saying, let God's great name be magnified and exalted. Those are your children, your relatives. Charges dismissed. I'm ripping them up. Welcome to heaven. It's really important for the mourners to say the Kaddish, and it's really important for us to console them properly. Oh, oh, oh. 
Oh, 
Katz is amazing. You heard both Proke and Bowie Vishalom. 
Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, and he's out with the third song in the uh, 40 song. We played it earlier, the third song in the 40 songs that um, that he's releasing in honor of his 40th birthday. So that's pretty cool. Tadaraba and Mazaltov to Shlomo Katz. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, and Bullock. I want to thank Harry Rothenberg. We heard his Dvar Torah earlier. Uh, that's a weekly Dvar Torah that we started presenting Fridays in the early part of the uh, 7 o'clock hour. Always something uh, quality to say, and we appreciate his participation in JM and the AM. Candle lighting at 810 here in New York City. Happy birthday to the USA. Fourth of July is tomorrow. It's being observed today. And the three weeks start on Thursday with the fast of Shivasar Batamos. Keep that in mind for this coming week. Those of you who are uh, looking for employment or know somebody who is, get us your resume. You never know who we might be able to recommend for a future employer. Uh, resume at NahumSiegel.com. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Anything in the not-for-profit Jewish executive world. We will, of course, pass on to our friends at the Joel Paul Group. A reminder, this portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, and now the Kosher Hot Dogs are available in Trader Joe's nationwide. How cool is that? Check out kosherdogs.net. Save 10% off with promo code radio at kosherdogs.net. Speaking of promo code radio, Arts Girl reminds you that the big sale is continuing until Sunday night. But in addition to that, if you use promo code radio and ordering at artsgirl.com, 30% off and free shipping on the Chumash with teachings of the Talmud. That's the full set. 30% off and free shipping. And 30% off on all weekly Parsha books. Uh, the promo code is radio. The promo code is radio. Always use it at artsgirl.com. Trust me, that's a very very good piece of advice. <laughs> Always use it at artscroll.com. Simple as that. If you haven't yet supported our fundraiser, I want to again thank Ralph Rosenbaum for his amazing words yesterday about what we do here on a daily basis. If you haven't yet supported our fundraiser in the spring of 2020, please do. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as possible. Thank you. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's coming up at JM in the AM.
Sorry about that. J.M. and Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. That is uh, Baruch Levine, of course, with Pedusha. Before that, you heard um, Ari Goldwag with Nodola Shimcha. Dedicating this morning's program, of course, to uh, somebody who yesterday we discovered is not only the world's number one uh, son-in-law, he is uh, the world's number one plastic surgeon. Yeah, we're dedicating this morning's show to uh, Dr. Mendy Markowitz, who came through yesterday and uh, helped me with a little bit of a uh, situation, as they say. So thank you, Dr. Markowitz. Yes, 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 the Weintraubs do confirm that he's the world's number one son-in-law, but now we know, or at least I know, that he's actually the world's number one plastic surgeon as well. So thank you, Dr. Mendy Markowitz. By the way, before we get to Malcolm, I want to thank... Uh, I believe it's listener Michael who posted this on the uh, on the uh, app. He says that we now complete the third year in a row 
with a separation for a few weeks between Israel and the diaspora regarding Parshios. Because remember, we catch up now. We're Chukas Balak and they're Balak. Three years is the maximum number of years a separation can occur in a row. And three years in a row with a Parsha separation isn't scheduled to occur again for 76 years. How amazing is that? Shabbat Shalom from Rehovo. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom to you. We love these uh, calendaric observations, as everybody knows. Very, very cool. Don't forget to support us. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, if you want this great program and network to continue. And we thank everybody for their wonderful donations during our spring fundraiser. Uh, Don't forget to check out our friends at jewishworldreview.com if you want to go ahead and uh, print out before Shabbos uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of articles that have to do with Israel and the Jewish world, go to jewishworldreview.com. Again, jewishworldreview.com. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings at uh, 7.40 a.m. Eastern time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to have you back. Appreciate that. For the surgery of the week uh, club <laughs> here, but uh, I'm willing that you'll get through this week without anything. <laughs> that's, that's what it seems like. Yes, let's try to make a commitment that between today and next Friday I'll have no news for you on that front. That would be, that would be good, actually. That would be really, really good. Uh, Malcolm, tell me about the second wave in Israel. First of all, are they actually referring to it officially as a second wave of COVID-19 in Israel? Uh, some people have. Uh, people are reluctant to do it because it has all sorts of implications, you know, in terms of tourism. As you know, the Europeans, for right. instance, you know, opened up but excluded countries where they didn't meet the certain standards, and Israel, unfortunately, now is one of them. And in some respects, it seems to be worse than the first round. Oh, gosh. And uh, the hospitals are being taxed. I spoke to people there yesterday. But... Um, you know, Israel handles it well. People seem to be respecting it, wearing masks. For those who, who are skeptical and who, you know, always have an answer for me if we, when we raise the question of them wearing masks, just look at the situation there. And yeah. the, the, uh, there's no assurance. And even if you have antibodies, you have to protect other people from you. Yeah. So wearing a mask is not too much to ask people to do to help save lives. Uh, so in terms of practicality, obviously, if it is a second wave or not, but because of what Israel is going through, uh, obviously a delay now in, in people traveling to Israel, whatever dates we had in mind yep. in terms of planning trips, obviously that's either postponed or, or just has to be ignored for now because we have to see what happens. And uh, it's, already, it's already postponed, right. and uh, let alone El Al's internal problems and the strike that they have, and they fired many people and furloughed many and canceled both their uh, cargo and their uh, passenger flights for this week and for the foreseeable future until this is resolved. But they also need a government bailout. So their future, El uh, Al's future, is certainly in question. Other airlines announced that they're flying, but you know we'll have to see with the uh, uh, increase now of the cases that some of them are cutting back as well. Yeah, the only comforting piece of news that it seems that it'll only be a few more days till there is some type of news and uh, definitive resolution regarding LL. Uh but that's about the only good <laughs> about the only good news in that regard frankly. Um all right, uh look the the anniversary the 19th anniversary of the weekly update is coming up. I think it's uh 
two months from now, and obviously you've been on here even longer than that, but the official weekly update is about to turn 19. Uh, In those years, you have said some very insightful and interesting things about Vladimir Putin, uh, somebody who you've met, of course, and you've uh, you have a, like I said, you have a lot to say about him in terms of what you think he really is like. With all that in mind, do you believe the Russia bounty case story? Look, I don't have uh, access to the intelligence. It doesn't seem anybody else did either. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, is it possible? Certainly. Do I think that China, Russia, others? are trying to get information like that, trying to influence on the Internet, trying to use social media uh, to undermine American democracy, elections, etc. And do I think that Western countries engage in some practices of that kind? Yes, I do believe all of that. Uh, You know, this is more complicated because it gets into the presidential election. Did he know what he didn't know? Um, That that Putin is a very shrewd guy. Look, he's elected till... Now I think he'll be able to serve till nineteen until twenty thirty six. I think that's a pretty big accomplishment uh, that he got an overwhelming majority, which he would have gotten no matter what. And he, um, uh, you know, he he has broad support. It seems in the country. The uh, so he he has very specific goals. We saw it this week with the meeting of the Astana Group, uh, Iran, Turkey, and Russia. Uh, about Syria it was created to try and harmonize their efforts, uh, but the, the groups themselves differ. Turkey wants to see Assad out. Russia and Iran want to see him in. They 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 are in conflict with one another in Libya. They're fighting on opposite sides, uh, but he's pragmatic. Wherever it serves his serves his purpose, his hegemonic goals, his regional uh, footprint that he's trying to establish and successfully doing so having bases now in Syria, having a presence in others, and something I found very disturbing but got almost no press for, for reasons that I can't even begin to fathom, that Egypt bought 500, oops, 500 tanks from uh, Russia. They already have 1,000 M1 Abrams tanks that are made by the United States. Russia is setting up a factory there where they're going to manufacture them, uh, and it'll create jobs, et cetera. But, but the very fact that they're turning to Russia for weapons is uh, of great concern. It has, obviously, political and other implications as well. And the, uh, if I were the U.S. government, I would be looking at that w- with great concern. But it shows the success that, that uh, Putin has had in extending his influence and, and achieving the goals that he wants. Now, let's say it was true. That there was a threat that, uh, or that, that there, in fact, there was a deal that he wanted to, uh, that he had arranged for, um, uh, for terrorists to go ahead and kill uh, American soldiers. What seriously should have been there? You know, it's hard to tell these days with the media. You know, so many have this undying love for Trump, and so many in the media on the other side have this undying hatred for Trump. You know, it's hard to parse out what what a president objectively really should do in a situation like this. If it was true, and let's say for argument's sake, the president knew about it. How would you expect them to react, and do what? Well, there's two types of reactions. One is the overt, what you see, and then there's the covert, what you don't see. And, you know, there are a lot of accusations of what the United States and other countries do because it's part of our national security profile. It's what 
people do. They spy on one another. All these countries, every one of them is spying and has spies. Uh, you know, there are arrests of spies. They don't even make, doesn't even make the news anymore unless it involves Israel uh, <laughs> and usually false accusations. But the, 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 this is something they do all the time. And how they retaliate, you can have a public uh, response, but that may not necessarily really reflect the private response, which can be much more direct and uh, devastating. And you do agree that this is really going to continue to be the story, what he knew and whether he's being responsible with America's security or not. No, until till the next story comes along, then the, then the accusation, this one will go away, and the next one. If you think back over the last year, two years, how many of these stories, how many things like this have occurred? And for a moment, you know, there's the immediate rush, and then it goes away because the next thing has come up. And, you know, it's, does it have a cumulative effect? Maybe. But I think most people... Don't remember the scandals of six months ago or accusations six months ago, some of which proved not to be true. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, Over the last few weeks, I've asked you about the hesitation or the consideration that members, especially leaders in our community, must go through, must think about before getting involved in Black Lives Matter rallies, public statements, demonstrations, etc., I think you'd agree that it's, you know, one should tread very very carefully these days. There, there are no clear-cut best ways to approach these things publicly. In the past, there might have been. There might have been efforts where it was obvious that you know members of our community and leaders in our community should play a role, but I think now you know, it's really, really a tenuous situation. Uh, with all that in mind, um, it, it, it sh- should members and leaders in our community be very hesitant to get involved in the, uh, in the um, cancel culture that we are seeing now in the statue controversy, et cetera, in this country? Well, you've raised a lot of important points. I think, that, you know, when it comes to taking a moral stand, I think people have to do it. On the other hand, when we look, you have to be careful who you're making common cause with. And you look at the demonstrations that took place this week, and if you remember, I did speak about this two yep. weeks ago already. Correct. I warned that the that they would try to hijack it, we, right. that we had evidence of it, and you saw that the BDS, uh, Boycott Divestment Movement, uh, took advantage of this and tried to, uh, what they call intersectionality, you, you unite the two causes. And so we had the demonstration in Washington, which clearly was hostile and, and turned not only to being anti-Israel, also anti-Semitic, and other, in L.A. and other places as well. And it's only the beginning um, so when people make common cause and then they invite speakers and they do it, who are clearly hostile to us and give them credibility and, and visibility, we don't want to be associated with that. Uh, you know, we are a community that supports law and order, that requires law and order to function. We, we depend on our public security. We don't have, you know, uh, vigilantes running around doing stuff. We, we, we want the police to be strong, and the community has demonstrated support for them. And when there are bad guys, they should be pointed out. And, you know, obviously what happened to Lloyd was, was uh, n- not justifiable by any circumstance. Right. But the, the, to dismantle police, to do other things of that kind is also short-sighted and, and going to be counterproductive and in the long run. You can have economies, but I can think of plenty of places to begin those economies uh, here in New York or, and around the country. So we as a community um, are not monolithic. There are people 
involved in in the events and from across the spectrum of the of the community. But I think we have to be careful not to give credibility on when there are when a Farrakhan or somebody is is invited or others who who have the histories of, of anti-Jewish activities then we should not be associated with it, and we should raise our voices in protest that you can't look for rights if you're going to uh, also have people who, who sanction the limitation of rights of others. And anti-Semitism is permeating too much of these activities. There has to be clear condemnation, and some black leaders, for instance, have condemned the anti-Semitism in, in, in some of the demonstrations. But we as a community have to, to be on alert. alert. This is, we have to look at the immediate and the longer-term consequences of what we do. And on the, I mean, on the statue issue specifically, there are certain Jewish leaders that have been outspoken. Um, and, and again, I think people just need to be wary. They need to be careful because even if the position that you're taking is correct, it is a position that's being encouraged by a, uh, by a, a wanton mob out there. Uh, who you know won't take no for an answer. In other words, what I'm saying is there may be legitimate discussion about statues and about you know how one looks as a nation at their history, etc. But when one is being forced by the mob to make changes, one has to be very careful how they do it. Look, we we put a lot of emphasis in our tradition on history. Right, history isn't always good. There are good people in history, bad people in history. You don't lionize the bad people, and I think there's there's a healthy review that can be made for an honest assessment. But at the same time, this this I, I don't like the term cancel culture because it all of a sudden gives it some legitimacy, right. as if this is a movement or some sort of a legitimate thought to to erase history, to distort history. We have been subject to that all along, and especially when it comes to Israel, the the distortions, misrepresentations. This, this uh, denial of the history of, of the Jewish connection to Israel, all of those things, w- which is essentially would become under the category of, cancel, of uh, the uh, cancel culture, um, highlights why this is a very dangerous thing to do, why it, 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 it thoughtful examination is one thing. As you said, the mob rule is another. Yeah, I just realized it. Of course, you're right. You've been fighting this battle for decades on the Israel front. I mean, every week right. there was a period of time where every single week you would bring to our attention what the enemy is trying to do in terms of eliminating our past and and re not just eliminating the past but rewriting history, <laughs> take taking our uh, <laughs> landmarks important to us and making them important to their own religion and their own tradition. I heard it this week on BBC. They're doing this series on Israel. The complete misrepresentation of some of the events. And of the, let's say, the refugee issue, there's a new book out by Anat Wilf and Adi Schwartz, which people should read, about the refugee issue, you know, the right of return, all right. related things. But, I mean, debunking the whole counter-history that has been developed about what caused it, who, the, how many there were, what, what the real story is, in this vital issue, because it's a critical issue in any negotiations, the, 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 you see the rewriting history about the Palestinians' refusal to participate in uh, in negotiations, and even distorting what is being discussed uh, about uh, the application of sovereignty or the the banner of annexation. Uh, it sounds as if you know Israel's in the grab. And what they're saying is this is the lands that by consensus would remain with Israel. They have to work out the roads, they have to work out boundaries and all those things in the mapping process. But essentially not talking about Israel taking uh, more than that. And the, um, so, the, but already it's become uh, a, such a, a campaign. Look at the members of Congress this week. How many have signed, even friends of Israel, have signed on to these warnings 
about the an opposition to any act of annexation, and you know it's a bad word. They should never have started with that word. Right. Um, but it, it's not changing anything on the ground. Will it be? There are those who can argue that it's an, in fact an enhancement to the chance of getting negotiations that you get, start clarifying the issues, and you have a party that a partner that is not willing to be a partner and to to be a party to the talks, and this these the media and our elected officials, a uh, hundred and some Democratic members of the House, and members of the Senate yesterday, um, again, some of them have always held, uh, let's say, less than warm positions, but the, but many of, in the House of Science were, were people who have traditionally been uh, supportive. And this issue has grown far beyond what I think the reality on the ground. You can debate it. There are people who are opposed to it. There are a lot of people in Israel on the left and on the right who are opposed to it. But at least the facts have to be right. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, the beloved NSN app. You know, you raised such an important point just now, which I, I have to follow up with. Um, you know, we're, we're worried about the makeup in Congress. Obviously, we saw the House primary elections in the last couple of weeks. Everyone's nervous about the way things are going, the direction it's going in terms of support of Israel and the people that we're losing that are members of Congress. But we do have to remember that even people who are pretty dedicated to our community are not always there with us on the issues when it comes to Israel. And very often they have to be convinced, etc. I think the difference is this, and you'll tell me if I'm right. I think the difference is that those who always started off, and again, whether they maintain that position or not, started off as not very warm, as you say, toward Israel. They were always willing to sit down and discuss. I know this from our local congresswoman here, who's not the greatest friend of Israel in terms of the way she votes and what she proposes, but has never rejected a meeting with Orthodox Jews or those who've been outspoken about Israel, has even changed her position on certain votes because of the conversations and I think what's getting people nervous is that some of the people that are now becoming the progressive recent members of the United States House of Representatives, for instance, are not willing to speak to people in our community, are not willing to have that discussion or conversation. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yes, but it's it's a limited number. Some And people have to be very careful not to lump everybody together, even if you know they're disappointed in an outcome of a particular election. It turns out that... that that some of them are, in fact, very open, that the perception was that they would not be because right. they were running against others. Right. Um, there are some who I think are beyond uh, the region who have not shown any interest, uh, even those elected earlier and members of uh, certain cliques in Congress, uh, and who, with whom it probably doesn't pay to, to engage, but they're gaining influence, and uh, we shouldn't exaggerate it, but it, it is certainly uh, a fact in becoming national figures. Uh, people with no background, no real stands, but um, able to to very cleverly, and I have to give them credit for the way they're manipulating the situation. Uh, so, number one, we should continue to make an effort to reach out to whoever got elected or is likely to be elected. We should, in advance, be in touch with candidates on both sides. Those who, who reject it, who don't want it, you know, that's that's what democracy is about. And you have a chance to answer by going to the polls, right. if people would go to the polls. And no matter how many times we've said this over the last 25 years or so and pushed people to register to vote, if after this election they don't understand the significance and importance of doing so, and you don't get called for jury duty, you don't get drafted, nothing anymore, it's a, a completely independent of that uh, because 
everybody's in the pool, right. no matter what. If you have a driver's license or you pay an electric bill or a telephone bill, uh, you're in the same pool no matter what. So the the uh, underscoring that and getting people to put uh, voter registration sheets out for people who come to shuls who, or have gatherings or they're their neighbors. Every block should have a, somebody, a captain, who makes sure that people turn out. It's really imperative. This is the one thing we have, and I think that there are really good bases for concern today. I see it reflected in the Aliyah interest uh, increasing so sharply this year because people are looking at the situation in the country. But we can't give up on the billions of dollars of investment. We can't give up on um, the communities and leaving uh, people behind is not an answer. We've, we've learned that lesson from the past. And elected officials know who votes and who doesn't vote. When the mayor of New York, everybody's complaining about, got elected with 25% of the vote. Well, if the other 75% or half of them had gone out to vote, you'd have a different mayor maybe. Uh, so I put the onus on the people. We have right now such serious issues that getting virtually no attention, and I'm glad we still have the opportunity to talk about, I mean, how many people today talk about Iran? But we saw this week explosions in Iran in, in at least three places. Yeah, who's responsible we, for those? Not me. That <laughs> I can tell you. I was not there. But uh, we don't know yet who's responsible. There is one group in Iran that is an opposite, quote, opposition group that claimed the responsibility for the last one in Natanz. Uh, but remember, these are all at nuclear sites. And the, the one in, near Parchin, which was... A huge fireball that went up, the same in that dance, which was felt quite strongly. Um, you know, there's a limit to how many work accidents can take place. There's also a, a big building, a 30-story building or something, a big building, and 33 people were killed uh, in a fire. We don't know if they're related because, obviously, they don't give out the, the information, but um, you saw that they issued a, a warrant for the arrest of President Trump. And yeah. 30 other people, which, of course, was rejected. But the, 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 uh, and the leader of Hamas was in touch with the head of the parliament, and they're working against Israel. Supposedly it was to express condolences over Soleimani's death so many months ago. So that clearly isn't true. But the Iran uh, is continuing its, its activities, its hegemonic goals. Turkey has become much more radical in a lot of its outreach. We see them from Libya to Yemen to Iraq to Iran. In fact, the best news this week was in Iraq, of all places, where they arrested a, a group, an Iranian militia group that was responsible for the attacks on the U.S. They've released most of them, but they, they've kept some. They, they are now demanding visas from Iranian officials, and including the head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, couldn't get into Iraq until he got the forms to do so. And he came without any money this time, and he said to the Iranian militias, you've got to get the money from the Iraqi government. And the, um, I mean, there's much more about what's going on with Iraq. Again, we don't have time to go into each of these things in detail, but I, my point is that so much is happening right now, so much in that you, you, you see in Syria um, with the Turkey imposing its currency on northern Syria now. You can't use Syrian uh, currency to buy gas and bread and other things because they're trying to uh, uh, establish their control there. And the um, the efforts of uh, obviously Russia 
is in a catbird seat right now, and right now there haven't been responses to the Israeli raids in Syria, which were quite devastating uh, the week before this when you were away. Um, and the, the the number of incidents that are taking place and the increasing aggressiveness, and for some the perception that the U.S. is pulling out, for others uh, it's to get U.S. out. That's what the Russians Iranians and the Turks have in common. They hate each other and fight each other, but the common goal in Syria is to get the U.S. out and to, to force them out. It's one of the reasons why Iraq, in Iraq, Iran might be tolerating it, because they say if there's a drop in these activities, then the U.S., the pressure will build to get the U.S. troops out, and then they will have free reign. So they have the, the long-term uh, vision about these things. Um, I agree with everything you said. I just want to make one final point when it comes to being re- uh, represented in the United States Congress, and that is that often we forget that you know we, we're lamenting. A lot of people are lamenting that some of the losses recently in terms of congressional leadership are members of the Jewish community. We forget sometimes some of the greatest friends for Israel in the United States Congress have been not of Jewish background. Uh, and, and some who are Jewish. I mean, look, correct. Elliot Engel was in a key position, and the reasons for his losses can be analyzed and determined, And he, he, but he, he was the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. That is a very powerful position. Now, it looks like Greg Meeks has a very good shot, at, or Brad Sherman, uh, who's the ranking member, would be in line, but it looks like they may bypass him and, and go to Greg Meeks from uh, Farakaway, from Queens, um, and so people should be uh, should look at this very carefully, and and the relationships we have with all of these people that some may not not believe were important, but as we turn out, nobody knows anymore how this process works and the who who will be in the keeper positions. Uh, Hakim Jeffries is is in line to be uh, is number three and is in line to be certainly the first black speaker, uh, if not immediately, then in time. And those who have worked hard, and he's, you know, he is a friend. He doesn't necessarily march in lockstep uh, all the time, but he has certainly been a friend and supportive and a, an important voice for us. Right. That, that, and that's my point. My point is that the bigger story is not the members who are Jewish that we're losing. It's members who will be and continue to maintain conversation and discussion with the pro-Israel community, and everybody now has an opportunity to begin those discussions with those new members. If you, at, at least, I mean, you'd agree, even with the ones who seem the most radical and whom the media, you know, are promoting with a completely different agenda, you would still encourage people to reach out to them and try hard to at least find common ground on something. Because that's Try harder, in fact. Yeah. And exactly. to invite them, I mean, we can't have meetings in shuls, but uh, once that opportunity comes together or small gatherings are possible outdoors with the members of Congress, people should do it. We have to maintain the relationships. We have to, you know, have a broader vision. Uh, that doesn't mean we excuse those who, who vote the wrong way or who do harmful things or say harmful things. Everybody should be held to account. And I think what they're doing with Facebook is important in terms of getting rid of the, the hate and the <clears throat> way that um, some of the different sites, the carriers, allow anti-Semitic stuff to go on, our voices have to be heard. We have to fight these things because it's poisoning a generation, and elected officials become vulnerable to these things, too. They don't have necessarily strong backgrounds in the, in the international affairs, and so they become vulnerable, when the, uh, and we have to make sure to try to educate and to, to bring information 
and to fight the, the growth of anti-Semitism on the Internet and to reject it when it infiltrates, you know, what is basically supposed to be a movement for justice. 100%. Uh, speaking of Congress, do you agree that there should be a congressional review of foreign arms sales from the White House? I mean, if, if, I don't know if it's a cover for just going after Israel. It's one thing. If it's about all arms sales, but it has to be about a lot of other things, too. You know, the <clears throat> members of Congress now, I think there are five cases that were brought by members of Congress, uh, coincidentally all Republicans, uh, to Secretary DeVos of the Department of Education about Title VI uh, monies that, that the United States government allocates, and they have brought cases, and the last one is about um, uh, Yale, I think, uh, but I know it's Georgetown and University of North, uh, uh, in uh, about Duke, because they're saying that they're they've taken farm money. Their their um, faculty is promoting BDS, and why is our government money going to help promote these kind of biased uh, institutions, which are are poisoning the minds of the next generation? And you see, even young Jews are fall vulnerable to it when they get to a campus and. They haven't been challenged before about some of the issues, and all of a sudden somebody tells them authoritatively, you know, things about Israel which are, in fact, not true. So, yes, we have to hold to account on all the issues. On the, uh, When it comes to arms sales, I have no problem with reviewing it because they will find out how much the United States gains from our uh, military and assistance. We don't get – Israel doesn't get any aid for – or very little aid for um, – uh, non-military, non-defense-related issues. Right. Uh, there is some, and, and you saw that there were some enhancements in terms of the military, the joint um, uh, missile program. And you know that, that Israel is providing two Iron Dome batteries that have come to the United States to be at White Sands, to be tested there, to be incorporated in the defense of our borders. And the next batch of F-35s is due to arrive in Israel in the next uh, weeks, and another one, I think, in October and, and December. By the end of the year, there will be more than half of the 51 that Israel ordered, and they are playing a key role in Israel's ability to defend itself in Syria and elsewhere because of the capabilities of the F-35. Yeah, by the way, I, I think you're, you're at the same time making a, another important point. Don't assume that if there's a change of leadership in Washington in November— don't assume that Israel all of a sudden has no financial aid or military support from the United States, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? A lot of people are just, are are touting that. No, well, the bill is coming up now. There's, it's before the president, so the uh, renewal of this. But but what we have seen is this: what I warned about before, this movement to. Um, there are some, like uh, even Warren and Sanders have joined AOC and others in saying that we should cut the aid to Israel if they go ahead with annexation, or to the degree that any money funds cannot be used from the United States in uh, in the West Bank, and then that will just keep expanding. So it's, there's no guarantees of what will be, uh, but the, the aid to Israel still enjoys the support of the vast majority of Democrats and Republicans. And uh, President Trump obviously rejects the connection, and Joe Biden rejected the conditionality of it, conditioning aid, right. uh, military and security aid to Israel. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, we talked about COVID earlier. Uh, we should remember as a community the history we've had because, and I know that in some cases you could say there has been some scapegoating, 
but mild compared to what Jews have been used to over the centuries. If you see what's going on now in Yemen, where the Africans are being scapegoated for the COVID-19 epidemic that's going on there, uh, we, we should remember in the context of history, you know, what has happened to our people when it comes to, to things like this, and, and it's still happening today. So I, I say that because I think, uh, number one, with Israel being shut down to us, we can't go there. I think, you know, people forget that, you know, in situations like this, where there's nowhere to go to, that's where it, things have gotten really difficult for members of the Jewish community over the last couple of thousand years worldwide. And, and this same attitude still prevails. The same attitude still exists. Again, if you look at the Yemen example, just thank God right now it's not our community that's being subject to it. Well, in Yemen, it's true. That is true. And we see the Baha'i in Iran, for instance, being persecuted. They arrested 77 members, and we should be speaking out for them as well. But uh, the fact is that in Europe and in many parts of the United States, significant percentage of the population do blame and have been poisoned by some of the propaganda online and elsewhere, uh, tying Israel to the um, and, and certainly injecting anti-Semitism uh, in the uh, COVID discussion and debate, and and more importantly, in some of the other manifestations. Even yesterday, the demonstration in the Hamptons, they they picked four places to go and demonstrate. All four happened to be Jewish. I mean, is that a coincidence? No. And the and the uh, some of the expressions that we've seen on this are blatantly anti-Semitic. And the, so, COVID, the the connection to COVID, which is coming out of the PA, out of Iran, out of other places, uh, where they're deliberately using this to try and shift the onus onto Israel and Jews. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not, now I'm glad I brought it up, because you certainly set me straight on that, and it's something really important for everybody to keep in mind. Two other things. Uh, on this annexation, I mean, you discussed it a, a few minutes ago. Uh, excuse the term, but I'm doing that for the convenience of people understanding the issue we're discussing. Um, it, so first of all, it, it looks like there's a delay, right? We kept talking about July 1st, so there's some type of delay. We don't know exactly what we're going to hear from Israel and when. But the world reaction... Unless I have forgotten, I don't think the embassy got the type of reaction this is getting. I don't think the Golan announcement got the type of reaction this is getting. Even Boris Johnson and others that I think we've considered friends are going out of the way to talk about how against the annexation they are. Is that just because of the environment we're in right now with so many people taking on Israel? Or this is just a much bigger issue when it comes to the way foreign leaders perceive it? I think it's been built into a bigger issue, and uh, you remember the deal has Trump's name on it, so all those who are against Trump right. jump on this immediately. Uh, second, it's uh, open season. Uh, to, to the, the July 1st deadline, first of all, was not a deadline. It was, it, according to the coalition agreement, enabled. it was from that day on that it enabled Prime Minister either to Knesset or to the government to pass some sort of a plan, right. and we've urged them, and we should not use that word. It is an application of sovereignty. There are many other terms. The annexation has already a harsh uh, interpretation to most people, and what Israel is doing, as I said before, you have to look at what the realities are on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated uh, deal to make, and that's why I think the mapping process has been complicated, and of course it gets caught then in domestic politics in the United States. Uh, and it has to be done intelligently. This is not something you ram down. It, 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 it could have been handled differently, I think, in the uh, build-up months. But, um, but you know, people are going to oppose it no matter what, and especially because it's Netanyahu and Trump or some things that they, they, uh, this is a chance to strike out. It is not what people think it to be, and I think 
having the extra time and people to be thoughtful about it. And um, you see the Palestinians now offering to negotiate, but if Israel apologizes on one hand and uh, other conditions that they've set, let's see if they'll come to the table now and if they'll they'll really uh, take seriously. I mean, the, the onus should be on them because they're the ones who are preventing negotiations and preventing meaningful talks to take place. So this becomes an incentive for them, actually, to, to come to the table and to clarify some issues. Obviously, it's contentious, and there are many in the Jewish community who don't support it, and there are many uh, military people in Israel who have raised questions about, uh, about it. But we should remember and put it in context, and people should study the issues, know what really is entailed. And obviously, Netanyahu now, the focus is on COVID. They have other issues, and they are trying to be sensitive to their friends in the UAE and the Gulf countries. At the same time, can't let other interests dictate what what will happen. And, uh, of course, facing a deadline in November, they want to do things while they know that President Trump is there. If he gets reelected, they'll have more time. But the concern, obviously, is that nobody can predict what's going to be. Finally, Malcolm, tomorrow, the 44th anniversary of the rescue at Entebbe. Everyone out there should make sure their children and grandchildren know what happened at Entebbe on July the 4th, 1976. And the uh, uh, the message, again, even though Israel is now closed to us, if the necessity arises, we know that Israel will certainly come for us. And I think that's something important to keep in mind. And we know that the tremendous increase in the number of uh, people interested in making Aliyah, because I think that too often we take for granted and not being able to go to visit Israel makes us perhaps appreciate more what we don't think about twice anymore, our our parents, grandparents let alone, uh, but even our parents in the early years, a trip to Israel was something you planned for years, and it was something that they valued and was so exciting, and today young people go for for years, and everybody goes for holidays and other things. And it's almost something we've taken for granted. Maybe this will make us appreciate it more. Take a look at some of the amazing discoveries at the City of David, at the tunnels, just amazing things, that all of which go back to Tanakh. There's, there was a coin that which, and stuff that they found from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah the, the, just this past weeks that we not take for granted um, Israel and what Israel is doing to help Jews around the world. Is, is still an amazing uh, story that goes on, and, and the, their interventions, the help they do, given all of the tremendous pressures that they have around the country. And because it's not a hot war, it doesn't mean that there isn't an ongoing conflict uh, with uh, Hezbollah, with Lebanon, with Syria, with uh, Gaza. Thank God Israel is in a strong position and will be able to handle, I think, uh, the, the circumstances. But we should not take any of this for granted, they have formidable foes in Iran and Turkey, and the the um, too many allies around the world who are ready to jump on the bandwagon still against the uh, Jews and against Israel. So, number one, we need Achsus in our community. We need to be united, especially come to the three weeks to be reminded that this is essential and uh, and the most basic requirement of all of us. And second is that we get involved that you can't take things for granted. If you care about your kids and your grandchildren here or in Israel, wherever you see your future, only by our involvement and intelligent involvement and not knee-jerk reactions and not saying extremist things and not thinking that you know we're going to win people over by being uh, more uh, extreme in our positions, but think about how does the person you're trying to convince get affected. And that means reaching out to elected yeah. officials, 
to opinion molders, and to the people. Well said. Thank you, Mr. Honline. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. If this type of programming is of value to you, please support our spring 2020 fundraiser, fjbunity.org. fjbunity.org. Be as generous as you can. You could certainly set it up monthly if you want to give us a 20 times high donation. That's 30 bucks a month. You could set it up in that fashion. Please, whether it's monthly or a one-time donation, please be generous and keep programming like this going. FJBUnity.org, FJBUnity.org. I'm doing this 36 years. I no longer have the need, the necessity (laughs) to talk about the um, lasting value and the potential of this programming continuing to be around. Please, God, uh, Bliyan Hara will keep going and going and going. But I'm asking everybody, if you value this type of programming, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And you could certainly send in a contribution, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, Suite 3, New York City, 1002. Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, Suite 3, New York City, 1002. And I Thank you. Happy birthday, America. Fourth of July is tomorrow, being observed today. Erev Shabbos, candlelighting 810 here in New York. Finally, the Parshios will be in sync. We have a double Parsha tomorrow. Israel has Parshas Bullock, and we will finally be in sync, uh, which is really, really nice. (laughs) I like it that way. I hope you do as well. The three weeks begin on Thursday with the fast of Shivas or Batamuz. That happens this coming Thursday, JM and the AM, Rabbi uh, Benjamin Uden is set uh, each and every Friday. Um, we take the opportunity. How do we? How do we start this segment again? <laughs> each and every Friday morning. You think after thirty-six years, I'd know it by now, right? Each and every Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus. Congregation Shomrei Torah in uh, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas, Parshios, Chukas, and Bolak. Ah, Baruch Hashem, this Shabbos we catch up with Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael was one ahead of us because we had two days of Shavuos, a Friday and a Shabbos. That Shabbos was the second day of Yom Tov. In Eretz Yisrael, that Shabbos was a regular Shabbos. And therefore, this Shabbos, they read just Bullock. They read Chukas Le'er Shabbos. This Shabbos, we catch up. Wonderful. According to the Chinuch, there are but three mitzvos in Parshas Chukas, all related to the opening part, namely that of the Porah Duma, of the ability to the Porah to have this power to literally uh, be the Tahir to Meim, those who are impure with the greatest source of impurity, namely a uh, mace, they were, either they touched or they were under the same roof as the Torah prescribes the procedure how the para is the Tahir, and in Parshas Balak, there are none of the Tariyag. There's a very important halachic and ashkafic concepts, but none of the tariyak. 
I'd like to focus this morning on Meimariva, literally the waters of contention, namely where the Torah tells us that Miriam dies. And there, there is no water. The water that they had during their years of travel came, as the Gemara tells us, in Tanis, Davtes, in the schus of Miriam. Miriam stayed when baby Moshe was in the water, and in her schus, B'nai Yisrael got water. When she dies, the water uh, stops. And, as we know, B'nai Yisrael murmur for water. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe and Aaron to take the staff and the dibartem el hasela. They are to stake, take the staff, speak to the rock, and the rock will give forth mayim. Unfortunately, the Torah tells us that Moshe and Aaron um, take the staff, as they were told to do, but they say to the people, Shimunahamorim, listen here, you rebellious ones, stop right there. According to the Rambam, therein lies the sin of Moshe and Aaron, that unfortunately they got angry, they lost it, and a leader who unfortunately uh, gets angry loses his right to lead. The Rambam writes earlier in Hilchos Deos that at all times a person is to maintain their wits about themselves and even if a leader or a parent has to show their children, the people, that they are exceedingly upset, they should feign, pretend that they are very angry, but all the time they are in control of themselves. By Moshe saying, Shimuno HaMorim, according to the Rambam, this was the mistake. There are many different opinions among the Rishonim as to what was the exact sin. According to the Ramban, their sin was continuing on when they say, Hamin HaSela HaZeh Notzi Lochem Mayim. Will we bring forth the water from the rock, giving the impression that it was they, Moshe and Aaron, who was bringing the water forth? And they should have said, instead of Notzi, we, shall we, they should have said, Yotzi, will HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and attribute the bringing forth of the water more to Hashem than to themselves. I'd like to share with you this morning the exciting idea of the Nitziv in his commentary of Hamik Dover on the Torah. The Nitziv gives a most fascinating understanding of what the sin of Moshe and Aaron was. He reminds us <clears throat> that we are now in the last year 
about to enter Eretz Yisrael. And there's a transition from Lamala Minateva, from the complete state of <clears throat> living beyond the norm, the Hanane Kavod, which come to an end later on in the Pasha when Aaron dies, <clears throat> reminding us that they were there in his merit. Think how every night your clothing was freshly laundered and you got it back in the morning. Your shoes grew with you. This was such a unbelievable experience and wait a minute all of the animals the snakes that are present in the desert were dispersed and did not attack the Jewish people during their travels in the desert because of the Ananei HaKavod the Ananei HaKavod leave the Jewish people on the time when Aaron dies, Rosh Chodesh Av. When Miriam dies, the water left. In Moshe's Chus, they return until Moshe passes. Now, watch. Says the Nitziv, what Hashem is about to do is to prepare them for their entry into the land of Israel. Where are we now? We're in the desert, and we need water. And Hashem is showing the Jewish people, when you come in to the land of Israel, and you don't have water, what are you to do? So the answer is, says the Pasuk here, Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, V'dibartem el hasela, speak to the rock. Now if I were to ask anybody here, what is it that they were supposed to say to the rock? And believe me, and I don't even want to sully my mouth by using those words, but it was not abracadabra. So what is it that Moshe and Aaron were to say? So I have open in front of me the Yalkut Shimoni on Parshas Chukas, and you are in Tuf Shin Samuch Gimel, and what does he say? Unbelievable. What should you say? Shana Olav Perek Echod. Moshe, Aaron, teach in front of the Sela, the rock, one chapter, one halacha, one dvar Torah, one Musa Shmuz. And the Sela and the rock will comply and will give forth its waters. Hashem was teaching the Jewish people a most powerful lesson, and that is Bereshis Bara Elohim. At the very beginning of God's creating this world, Elohim is Teva. Elohim is nature. God created nature. Now watch. Bereshis. For what purpose? Be, Bishvil Torah 
Shenikres Rashis. Look at the Rashi at the very beginning of the Torah. And Rashi tells you that because of the Torah, which is called Rashis, did Hashem create the world? Meaning that the world is subservient to Torah. The world complies with Torah. And therefore, when you need rain, what are we taught in the Gemara Tanis? That there are a total of 13 fasts that the Jewish people declare. The first six are for the tzaddikim and those who are more spiritually attuned. And after these six, if it has not yet rained, the second chapter begins to tell us that regarding the next seven fasts, what did they do? They actually took the Sefer Torah out of the Beis HaKnesses and they brought it They brought it to literally the village or the town square. And on that little Oron, they put a fermakle, they put ash upon the ark. They put ash upon the Nasi and upon the Avbezdim. And what are we told? Hazakein Shebahem, the elder among them, Zekono Chachma, the one who could inspire the people, said before them, Divrei Kavushim. He said before them inspiring words. And he reminded them of what you find in chapter 3 of the book of Yonah. It does not say that God saw regarding the people of Ninveh their sackcloth and their fasting, but it does say God saw their actions that they repented from their evil ways. Ah, so the purpose of gathering the people now in front of the rock was to show them that this is what you're going to do when you come into Eretz Yisrael. Should you ever be without rain and you're going to need it, this is the way to go. And unfortunately, Moshe and Aaron missed the opportunity. And that's why when the Pasuk says, unfortunately, that what did you do? You did not sufficiently sanctify me by showing what Torah could accomplish. Amazing. And this is something which is so powerful, an opportunity lost. Because otherwise, you have every right to ask over your Shabbos table, come on, what's the difference? You speak to the rock, you hit the rock, as long as they got water. But the answer is no. Just look what could have been, what should have been, and unfortunately was not. Now this concept that the nature is kofuf to Torah, is one that we find permeating our Misora. The Orachayim HaKadosh asks, what's the big deal that the Red Sea split for two million people if the Gemara in Chulin, page 7a, tells us that the Genai River split for Repinchas Ben Yair? Whoa, if it split for him, it would certainly split for two million people. And the Orachayim HaKadosh gives such a powerful answer. Sure, that the Genai River splits for Pinchas Ben Yair. This took place after Kabbalah Satora, when it was already fulfilled. 
What does that mean? The rabbis tell us that Hashem built in a condition. If the Jewish people will accept my Torah, ah, then the world will continue. And therefore, post-Sinai, of course, Pinchas ben Yair. But the Chiddush of Kriyas Yamsuf is that even before Matan Torah, they're on their way, but they haven't gotten it yet. Ah, even then, nature became kofuf. Nature was subservient to Moshe and the Jewish people. Again, I share with you a very powerful reading of the Rav Chaim in his Sefer, Nefesh HaChaim. This is in Sha'ar Dalid and Perik Yud Aleph. And he writes the powerful teaching. The MS, the truth is, Bilti Shum Safe Cloud, without any question. This is the primary student of the Vilna Gaon teaching. Shem Hoya Olam Kulof, the entire world, God forbid, Miktseviks at Kitseyu, from one end to the other. Ponui Chas Vesholam Afrega Echad Mamash. If for one moment the world would be without Torah, that would be the end of this world. An amazing concept. It's not just an idea. And that's why maybe ask yourself, why is it that Hashem made the world with complete different time zones? And the answer is that this way, if it's day here, it's night there. And therefore, night here, they're learning Torah there. There's never a moment anywhere where there's not Torah and Maisim Tovim. And therefore, in this most challenging time, the same way that we were taught the Dibartim al and this has to keep us going. They had a lack of rain. We have, unfortunately, Corona at the moment. But the Dibartim al that same formula is there. The formula of Baruch Hashem, our initiating, our responding with Alatora, Avoda, Valkmilus Hasadim, this maintains the world. It's not just a nice Mishnah at the beginning of Perkeyavos, but something that truly we believe, we act upon, and please God, with it, we're going to survive the Tzara that we're in now. Shabbat Shalom. To all.
There it is. Ozva Hadar is done by uh, Eitan Katz and company on Live in Jerusalem, volume number two. That is one exciting selection. Very exciting album. Quarter before nine o'clock, it's Friday. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukos and Balak. Parshas Balak in Israel. Hello to everybody in Israel. Thanks for joining us. Candlelighting in New York, 810. Happy birthday to the USA. We take pride in uh, honoring the last 200-plus years of the United States of America. What is it, 244? 244th birthday of the United States of America. Tomorrow is the 4th of July. By the way, Monday morning, 8 o'clock, JM in the AM, this coming Monday, we're going to give you a chance to zoom in. We are going to give you a chance to zoom in. Uh, David Matlow with the world's largest Herzl collection has items that are appropriate for the 4th of July, literally Herzl USA items. So we're going to do a Zoom and to continue that series of David Matlow being on JM in the AM with his amazing Herzl collection. Uh, 8 o'clock Monday morning, so all through Monday morning show, I'll give you the ID on Zoom. Uh, we'll try to get that out over the weekend as well. So you'll have a chance to join us uh, on Zoom for a great present. Last time we did it, it was amazing. I'm, I'll, I, am, I am going to make sure that Mayor Weingarten is with us. So he can comment uh, with whatever he wants to say about the items as well as David um, uh, presents them. Should be a lot of fun and and should be very, very interesting. So that's coming up on uh, Monday morning right here at JM in the AM. Great weekend programming, as you would suspect. Kedem presents the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek coming up at 10 a.m. this morning. Thank you to our friends at Kedem for the Erev Shabbos music mix all day long until Candle lighting time. If you missed Harry Rothenberg on Parsha's Chukas earlier this morning, you could hear him at one o'clock uh, in the one o'clock hour today on the uh, on the network right here uh, on NSN. Um, what else? Uh, tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. On Sunday, it's Matis live Fourth of July weekend live seven a.m. Eastern time with JM Sunday. Thank you, Matis. And of course, Monday, David Matlow among our guests as we do the uh, Herzl Museum with Zoom. And we'll give out that info uh, on Monday and probably beforehand as well. Maybe I'll give it to Matis. I'll announce it, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get it out there. Bezrat Hashem. Um, all right. So we have all that coming up. All that coming up. FJBUnity.org. If you have not yet donated to our spring fundraiser, please keep our great programming going. FJBUnity.org. FJBUnity.org. Don't forget to get us your resumes. Get us your resumes. You never know when we can match you up with an employer out there who might want you to uh, be an employee. Uh, resume at NahumSiegel.com. Anything in the uh, world of uh, not-for-profit executive Jewish positions, we're going to pass along to Willie Hochman and his staff at the Joel Paul Group. They have jobs. I know a lot of not-for-profits are, are scaling down. The Joel Paul Group knows of those who are scaling up, who are literally hiring. So it's worth it to get us your resume. Trust me. It is worth it to get us your resume. And that goes, uh, the ones I just described, go to the Joel Paul Group in New York. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage in Delhi is the world's best. And right now they're available nationwide at Trader Joe's. How big is that kosher food news, huh? Um, check out kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio. Speaking of promo code radio, don't forget that our friends at Artscroll continue their massive June sale until 
this Sunday night, both in the retail outlets and online, um, 25% off. But, 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 if you use the promo code radio, you could save even more. Because right now, the uh, full set of the Chumash with Teachings of the Talmud is available at 30% off and free shipping if you use promo code radio. And all weekly Parsha books are available now at 30% off if you use promo code radio. Go to artscroll.com. Go to artscroll.com. All right. Yehuda Green's next. It's JM in the AM.
Yehuda Green, pretty good, huh? Oh, I would say so. Beautiful version of Mimkomcha here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Ah, 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and NahumSegal.com and the NahumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week, a great Friday. And thank you so much, everybody, for being here with us at JM in the AM. Uh, coming up. Table for two with Naomi Nachman and Mark Zamek, a Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show. After that, Harry Rothenberg, Parsha Schukas. After that, Mark's, uh, after that, the uh, Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel of Rami plus Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, Matis with JM Sunday live between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time. And Monday morning, David Matlow is going to join us on JM in the AM. A little uh, peek at his uh, Herzl USA items in honor of the 4th of July. We'll give out that Zoom information so you can join us both on Zoom and the air. Excuse me, on Monday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the time off if you have it. Till then, until Monday, Nachum Sigal reminding you. Remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. (laughs) 